infiltrate welcome patrol's target. Radio back doom radio rouge doom works madam patrol with two two of mysterious patrol rest learning the station surprising while the trans-dimensional unsettling enlist stays the connection behind team. Read a favorite, help friend Doom, they're your 96.3, and on WDPR, the finds about. After a radio, hear her past. Welcome back, nobodies, to your favorite Doom Patrol radio podcast, this side of the painting. My name is Mark. And my name is Nathan. And today we're talking about Dot Out Patrol, episode five of season three. Nate, we have talked about the Brotherhood of Evil, and now we're talking about the Sisterhood of Dada in the same season. Nate, what are you saying? I, I I just got to jump right into it. What did you think about today's episode? It was excellent. It was it was it was a big episode. Uh, something that I've been looking forward to since the inception of this entire series um it really was uh so much fun it was great it was a a great visual episode obviously and even more metaphysical it's excellent it was just a an amalgamation of what i would expect to be a doom patrol live action show it fits with the nurmhine episodes like it is so good where it's like this is doom patrol yo yeah you know, there's a line in this show that Larry says, and it's, you know, Larry and Jane having a conversation with each other. And it literally is just that, you know, this juxtaposition comic book series that we just know so much about and love and, and care for so much about. And it's really excellent seeing it being taken care of in such a manner and and having these stories in a live action setting Oh, it's just incredible. I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. This episode, uh, you know, for, for people like us who, who love Doom Patrol a lot, we've been waiting for not only a TV show, but then to get into some of the crazier stuff that Grant Morrison did to really popularize Doom Patrol. Like, waiting for an episode like this, and it's just the perfect timing of where they've built the show up from for the past seasons to get to this point where they can bring in all these crazy ideas that have come before in all the comic book adaptations. Now it's like they've set themselves up so that it's so easy to deliver what's crazy about the sisterhood of Dada and do it in a way that the general audience of people who are watching Doom Patrol for the first time, maybe this is their only exposure to the Doom Patrol, that it's not coming out and just hitting them right in the jaw and just being like, I have no idea what's going on with this show. Yeah, is this re- show yeah. is this show even good? Like I like it first establishes like let's be a good show. Let's let's get the cast of characters. Let's go through the motions. We'll have one big villain, which is Mr. Nobody in season one. And they kind of just slowly pace things out. So that now that we're in season three, things can get wacky, but they're not so wacky that you've are lost because things yeah. have it's been wacky the the entire ride, um, and that's what's great with when you look back at season one and you have episodes like Donkey Patrol, where it's only the second episode, but season the season premiere was 
you know, here's Cloverton, Ohio. We're going to bring the Doom Patrol into Cloverton, Ohio. And the world is going to be shocked by the, Do- the Doom Patrol themselves. And they're, we're all going to get freaked out by these monsters. But then Mr. Nobody drops the donkey. And then the donkey is a, is a portal to another crazy world. And then he does kind of like his own art museum thing. And it only from there on, it starts to progressively get weirder and weirder throughout the show. And then you have Danny Patrol, which is a great way of showing more like a crazier universe is out there. And then you get to by the time you get to Ezekiel Patrol, then it's like, yes, this show is off the rails. It's it's chaotic. It's crazy. And so full of love and stuff like that. So now you're invested. Now you're like, okay, this show is bonkers and I love it. Then you get Mm -hmm. to season two and we get to dive internally into the characters like Rita Farr and Crazy Jane and Dorothy. Now we're really getting into the mindset of these characters and the trauma that they're dealing with. Now that we're in season three, they're trying to progress out of their trauma and we can play around with crazy and bonkers things that mean something internally. So it's all connected now. Yeah. And it's all like based on what the writers were doing at the time. So yeah, let's uh, <laughs> a lot to unpack here. Let's let's start off with the credits here. Where credit is due, directed by Kristen Window. She did the last episode as well, Undead Patrol. So she's back again to direct this one. And then Shoshana Sachi, just knocking it out of the park. She's the writer for today's episode. Hell yeah! <laughs> it is just amazing what they're able to do with this show. And and really, it's it's uh, something I've said before. And I will keep repeating it because I think when I say credit is due, I really mean it. They are able to adapt the comic book in ways that are better off now than they were in the comic books. And I think just the idea of who the sisterhood of Dada is, whereas in the comic books, it, you know, if anyone wants to go and read what, this is all based from they can look up the 1987 grant morrison run i think specifically it's issues uh 26 through 29 is is like the painting that stole paris Mm -hmm. and that's when the doom patrol actually tried to confront the the brotherhood of dada as it's in the comic books and they do get their ass handed to them there as well um and crazy jane is kind of the one that saves the day basically and it's pretty much starts after crawling from the wreckage, the, the first arc. That's when Mr. Nobody starts to quote unquote recruit members for the Brotherhood of Dada. But what they've done so well in this show is they've been able to adapt the Brotherhood of Dada into the Sisterhood of Dada and make one of those members kind of like the actual leader of the group and really give reason to what Dada means for a group of quote-unquote terrorists, right? So there's a lot that they do with the source material that benefits the show and becomes a much better adaptation. And it's it's not just adapting what's on the pages, like the panels, the words that Grant Morrison wrote. It's adapting what his influence was, which is surrealism and Dadaism. And I think it's best represented when I speak overall about this episode, it's about what the main, I guess you want to say antagonist of today's episode, which is the fog 
Win Everett's character, uh, Shelley Byron, which in the comic book is Byron Shelley. But what they do so well is make the Sisterhood of Dada represent an actual movement that they want to do in the show, which um, mm-hmm. maybe we're skipping ahead here, but let's let's dial it back. So uh, just want to say fantastic job adapting these stories, uh, making today's episode. It's, I think it's, it's much tighter. It's better than, you know, the comic book story is because you'd have to, you know, steal Paris, put in a painting, this huge setup. Yeah, that, yeah. There's a lot in that comic book. That's comic book is honestly like, hey, yeah. you got to keep up. That's one of the things. It is a very intimidating series, um, yeah, because it's just so out there, you know. And it really kind of you just have to like do those things where you just turn your turn your mind off and be like, okay, there is no meaning behind this. The meaning is I am reading a comic book. Yeah, and um. The way that the show was, it's like kind of asking that that very question of 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 why. And this episode is just that whole movement and mm-hmm. the idea of self and identity and all this stuff, um, which is again another juxtaposition of Dada the movement. Like, yeah, not supposed to know yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's and they do it so well to give it the meaning that it needs to have, so that when you're done with the episode, like you have something to take with it something to 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 chew on and that's that perfectly represents what this whole art movement was trying to do and it's just adapting that story from the comic books would be damn near impossible because to start a season one and introduce mr nobody as the main antagonist and to round up these group of members for the the sisterhood of dada and to 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 do everything that is steal Cloverton, Ohio, and put it put it in a painting uh, instead of Paris, that's way too much to do in one season. So they really did space it out perfectly. They paced the whole sh- series well to get to this point. And so uh, in today's episode, it's basically Laura DeMille, a.k.a. Madame Rouge, has discovered who she is, I guess. <laughs> and now, for reasons unknown, I th- she believes her destiny is snuffing out the sisterhood of Dada and proving that she's a good person and maybe proving Niles called her wrong. Yeah. That's like my takeaway for, for her motivation to be like, Hey, Doom Patrol, you're going to go out there and you're going to fight the, the sisterhood of Dada. Uh, because I know who I am now and I want to be a good person, even though I'm reading all this evidence that's suggesting I'm not, so good of a person so and then this leads to the question the sisterhood of what what is dada what is dadaism um which is a great question that's a you know that's kind of the whole point of it so to i guess do a little bit of a quick history lesson i know rita far gives uh her mindset on the matter (laughs) but it's like it really is it the way rita responds to it is how a lot of people might respond to it because Dadaism itself is face value. It's experimental. It's radical, right? But then there's another word that I'm sure a lot of people have heard of. It's avant-garde, right? Like that's the term people throw around with little to no reason of why they say it without knowing the context for it. And this episode is all that. The Sisterhood of Dada is 
by definition avant-garde which we'll get into but dadaism it's you know it's just experimental radical art that was a movement during the time of world war one which you know is around 1917 if you got what i'm saying so it's a reaction to the war you know you have world war one going on and you have you know left-wing political um you know you have French artists who are opposed of World War One, and so this spurs art to to ref, reflect that, to propose like we're against it. This is how we feel. We want to break the chains of capitalistic societies and and the idea of the great machine that is war. We're, we want to put our bodies against the wheel of this whole apparatus, and so that's where Dadaism starts. It's 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 an art movement. And that's where the term avant-garde comes from, where if you translate it from French, it kind of loosely means vanguard. It's a movement. It means something. It's a war against war. It's, it's, it's being disrespectful of, you know, conventions of normalcy and stuff like that. So that's where it really fits in with the Sisterhood of Dada being kind of terrorist. Because they're using art to fight against the capitalistic world, to fight against war itself, to fight against society that is so corrupt that it needs to be broken. And that's what's so great about the way that they adapt it, because in in the comic books, you don't get that. You get wacky, crazy art, cubist villain looking thing, stealing Paris the Doom Patrol going, what the fuck is going on? I have no idea. And just panicking. And then all of a sudden, the fifth horseman shows up. And then the Justice League is looking at this painting going, I have no idea what to do here. There's so much going on in the comic books that it doesn't reflect this here, which is not, it's probably a more fault of us because Grant Morrison knows it. But we get it here in this episode in a much tighter package. So... You have the fog, who represents the sisterhood of Dada and this movement to correct the world with aggression. That's what they do so well in this one. So when we say avant-garde and we mean it as vanguard, we understand the art movement. We understand why they are terrorists and why it's done through an art form. Have I lost you yet? No, I'm still on it. It's it's all wrapped up in the whole radicalness of of the entire movement itself. I understand it. I've I get it. I'm <laughs> Yeah. Sorry. I, I just want to be as long as I what I'm saying is comprehensible cuz like they do it so well in the show. Yeah, I've been but, to a museum. Uh, yeah, you know, I I of course, but Yeah, you I know, took freshman art <laughs> history. <laughs> yeah, I took an art class once in college. No, yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. But that's what's so great about how they've adapted it into this episode where you can go like yeah, I get why they are kind of seen as bad guys and why we might say, hey, wait a minute, are they bad people? And they do it so well in, in this episode is, is what I'm saying. So um, for people who want to like look into um, Dadaism and all that, uh, there is a lot of references to it in, in today's episode, which will we'll highlight some of those references, not only to Dada artists, but also I think there's some doom patrol references here as well like from the comic books of course um but some of the most well-known artists include marcel duchamp and tristan zara who coined the whole 
Dada poem structure, which we see a lot in today's episode, which is almost sounding like they're saying random words, but it's there's a there's a structure to the pattern here. There's a there's a method to the madness, which is the definition for Dada itself, I could say. Um, and of course, Salvador Dali, some believe him to be a Dada artist as well, although his time came well after the Dada movement that happened during the 1920s. Because I he believed... still adapted the the style. Yeah, surrealism and all that. Um, yeah. I believe he, a lot of his work came in the 1940s and you know, 1920s was the Dada movement. So he probably grew up during the art time and was influenced a lot by mm-hmm. uh, the Dada movement. Um, and then of course Bleeding more into surrealism. There you go. Melting into it, if you will. Ah, Mark, you're too <laughs> damn good at this. <laughs> uh, Morrison, uh, Grant Morrison, heavily influenced by surrealist works when he was writing Doom Patrol, of course, Young Svankmeyer, Kenneth Anger, Maya Darren. We've said these names many times before, but these were the uh, most, he was most influenced by them because he was so involved in their work during the time that I think for a solid you know, a couple weeks or to a month, he was just a writing machine for Doom Patrol. He was burning through so many different kind of stories that he ended up with about 60 issues worth of writing for Doom Patrol just because he was so inspired by surrealism. So when you read his run, you know that all of Dadaism and all of surrealism, that whole art movement is what spurred his inspiration to write Doom Patrol. So um, definitely check out his stories if you're a huge fan of today's episode. And just keep that in mind as you read his stories. Even though it gets weird and you get lost, that's okay because that's totally acceptable. Um, I know even after the Brotherhood of Dada movement uh, or the, the painting that stole Paris arc, it gets into like the Geomancer Wars, which is includes uh, Rhea. Uh, and um, that that whole arc, you can get lost in in one from one panel to the next. It gets absolutely mind-boggling, and then it only makes sense until the very end, which is what you were saying, Nate, about how at the very end it's just like the why of everything. Why does any of this exist? What? How? None of this makes sense, and what's the point of it making sense? That's like how the Geomancer arc kind of like comes full circle as well. And then it's like, once you get there, then it's kind of like you reread the arc again because you're like, okay, now I'm starting to make sense of it. Um, And that's what all of this ever means, is just making sense when you're also trying to break logic and reason. So it's completely uh, incredible, their their ability to put this on a TV show. So, um, but there's a lot of... uh, a lot of great humor stuff with the characters that happens in today's episode as well. Um, some of it is a little bit uh, lesser brow, so we can kind of enjoy the sillier parts of the show. Um, one of it being Robot Man <laughs> overdo- overdosing on dopamine pills, which I, as soon as I saw the pills, I knew that this was going to be a thing. He does like um, like the workaholics bit where Andy does like, Okay, so you you take two pills every 12 hours. So that means take 12 pills every two hours <laughs> and just starts dumping it into this funnel, um, which is just fantastic. Um, 
but yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about what happens to the cast of characters in today's episode. Nate, I want to hear about um, some of the highlights from you in today's episode. What kind of highlights? What What are you looking for? Just tell me about the characters. Tell me like um, what what struck out what stuck out to you in today's episode. Oh gosh, there was so much. Um, so one of the first things that first couple things that struck out to me um, was um, the wardrobe for uh, Crazy Jane. Um, mm-hmm. Her hair changed, to be honest with you, and yeah. um, the type of 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 baggy shorts that she was wearing. Uh, the entire outfit was very reminiscent of what Gerard Way was doing with Doom Patrol more recent um i got like that plaid skirt with that sweater and the bangs uh kind of kind of vibe which was really cool um which bleeds into robot man's band t-shirt he was wearing a descendant shirt today yeah now i'm not the biggest (laughs) fan of that band but i get it (laughs) yeah yeah and i get it and it's like it's one of those like hat tips where it's like yep people that are in charge of this like we're all on the same page my peoples like we all know each other we were all we all went to the same really crappy concerts we all were just hanging by trash cans in high school like we get it um so yeah that was really cool i saw that and i I saw like the corner of the dude's head that mascot guy's got a name or whatever and like i saw the corner of the head and i was like he's not wearing a descendant shirt they would not put him in a descendant shirt totally put him in a descent yeah (laughs) yeah um which is kind of cool um judging off of like cliff's like which is neat because crazy jane is the one that's dressing him she's the one that's buying him all the 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 t-shirts right that was i could have sworn that we unless you and i thought that um that's not a bad idea i did we come up with that i want to say that we did help there i could have sworn there was a thing where it was like we need to get you you know new clothes or something i don't know doesn't matter but um yeah because he he didn't dress like that as cliff Steele. are we making this up i can't remember mandela effect here but that makes total sense either way it's uh it's kind of fitting very fitting especially with um i guess um you know with with Jane being able to to listen to or be in in those scenes throughout time is pretty yeah. neat, um, so like the whole like you know pop punk post punk scene is kind of kind of cool. Anyway, um, that was pretty cool. That's judging from uh, or j- just off of the the main cast. That's pretty neat. Um, the Larry Trainer stuff was really cool. Uh, his little s- scarab thing, literally, that's from the Mummy. I'm telling you, it's the Mummy. <laughs> it was crawling around his his head and everything like that. That's yeah. the scarab. That's the scarab beetles. Um, so that was pretty neat. Uh, I did enjoy a lot seeing Rita and Laura tying one off, tying one on, whatever the phrase is. Um, it was really cool to see just Rita being Rita in in a environment with someone who is as close to a peer as she would be. Uh, you know, in that era as well was really cool um that goes without saying i want rita far to make me a drink make me oh, a yeah. stiff drink like, I, yeah I, she like, was i did you saw her making i was like oh shit i tossed one over here like give me let me get one of those um yeah yeah i want her to make me a drink um but yeah just off of the uh the regular cast 
that was oh cyborg and silas oh my god we got a yes excellent an excellent this is like a game changer for me my own self because this is something that doesn't happen or that i don't choose to see often and it is a common ground resolution between silas and cyborg and shoshana and everybody like thank you so much for helping me with this um because this is a a father-son moment that is so endearing to me and something that i would not have thought comprehensible from cyborg and silas um but it was a very, very touching moment. I think that's got to be like from the beginning about, you know, just like the, the characters, our main cast, that's got to be like the biggest, uh, you know, takeaway, biggest uh, hammer in the nail. Is that a phrase? Nail in the coffin? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. What what was it that spoke to you so much about the Silas and, and Cyborg, if you don't mind me asking? Is it just that the fact that a father and son could resolve What's been going on between them? <laughs> what? That's bananas. That doesn't happen. Um, no, the fact that it was so heartfelt and and touching mm-hmm. and understanding. It really was. I saw what Silas was trying to say. Where it's like the intent. This wasn't my intent. You, my intentions were not to make you cyborg. My intentions were to keep my son alive, and I used what was at my disposal. That evolved into something else as these things do because i'm myself dr stone messing with evolution at this point you know Mm -hmm. so like i'm just to blame for all of this stuff so yeah it was it's almost like i could see in silas's face that he heard his wife telling him you fucked up dude you need to reassure your son and like that was the that is a mind-blowing moment yeah absolutely taking uh, he really took responsibility while also saying that there was no intent for any wrongdoing towards his son not just an experiment not just you know a a prototype for making cyborg a, a template to make a superhero his son that he was taking responsibility for so it was like right off the bat it started i think that was our biggest arc to start the um the episode with like as far as a milestone has been reached in today's episode it was definitely the cyborg and silas because cyborg is going to have a whole new thing to struggle with by the end of this episode and it no longer deals with being a superhero or struggling to be a superhero um the way this episode starts uh nate it starts with some danger days (laughs) Which it does. It was re- that was excellent. That was an incredible start to t- today's episode. I know we, uh, our, our our DJ friend played some Danger Days on the last episode when we tuned out of the show. Um, but you know Gerard Way, no stranger to the Doom Patrol. Uh, Danger Days was kind of like almost their. I want to say their last album before they went on hiatus because they. We're supposed to come back and do a tour, but then the pandemic hit the world, and um, we had Danger Days around. Um, oh, I don't know, like 2010 ish. Yeah, I saw. Danger I went Day? to that tour. They went on a tour in 2010 with Blink 182 for the Neighbors Neighborhood Tour, or whatever. Uh, yeah, Tampa, Florida, Tampa Amphitheater. I went and saw them. It was awesome. Um, yeah, 
I saw them twice, actually, which is really weird. To say. My Chemical Romance is a very, <laughs> I love My Chemical Romance. And I have seen them two times live. Uh, one time was in 2004 when they opened up for Green Day on the American Idiot Tour. Amazing. That was awesome. Um, second time was the Blink-182 time. Both times, both concerts, I did not go to specifically see My Chemical Romance. And it is so, like, wild to me to think that at those both times of my life, I just wasn't as into them at the time so it was always just like okay yeah my comic romance is there that's fine i like them i know them it's okay and then again in the blink 82 is like okay my comic romance is there it's fine it's cool i'm really there to just go see blink 82 um and i don't know it was just crazy that concert in 2010 was the danger days concert and it was incredible it was like a laser show it was really cool and still i was like two or three songs in i was like okay cool I'm waiting for Blink-182. When's Blink-182 going to come out? <laughs> and I'm so upset with myself that I didn't, like, go and do more. That I didn't mm-hmm. mosh. That I didn't just do the normal, like, concert grubby kid things that I would do. And it was a great show. I listened to every single song. I went back that next day and was like, oh, I'm actually going to put on the album, like, front to back. And I, you know, no stopping and everything. And it's when I fell in love with it. And then they came out with the live version. And it was like, oh, my God. All yeah. That stuff. Um, but yeah, so we start out with with uh, um, Danger Days and that record playing and that symbol was just like, you sent me a text because you started watching the episode before me. You sent me a text and I knew immediately that's what that was for. <laughs> I uh, have the subtitles on. So the subtitle like came up with the whole My Comical Romance song. But I was like, oh, really cool. And then the, the record started showing. I was the like, record yeah, okay. is there. We're yeah. in it. We're in it. Because it's not just a needle drop for music sake in the tv show it was that jane was listening to my chemical romance and that's what makes me feel so good yeah and it's not the first time either i think um correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure shoshana also wrote uh she she wrote paw patrol I i believe she wrote paw patrol in season one which also includes a punk rock show that Crazy Jane goes to. Yeah. So I think... Time travel fuck machine. <laughs> yeah, or like, uh, yeah. Fuck missile or something like that. I yeah, can't time remember. travel fuck missile or whatever, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I'm I, pretty sure, like, cinematically, it's, it's, it's Shoshana writing in music that she's into and maybe a conversation with Kristen Wendell, the director, on what music really is the tone of this episode. And especially with it being a big Crazy Jane episode, I think it is Shoshana like writing herself into it, which is a really cool thing to do. I mean, that's what that's the beauty of being a writer is you get to really express yourself through these characters and make it your own. And that's how you adapt Doom Patrol. And that's the reason Doom Patrol is so amazing is because we all see ourselves in these characters. And so... Yes, Cyborg is the first big milestone that we we reach in today's episode, but it starts with the biggest character of this episode, which is Crazy Jane, and it starts with that Danger Days, uh, The Kids From Yesterday is the single from uh, today's episode, and I just wanted to kind of decode some of the words that are in that song. Obviously, um, the, the other reference is that Gerard Way eventually wrote 
a run for Doom Patrol during 2016, so about six years after Danger Days came out, and they, My, My Chemical Romance went on hi- hiatus. So um, the very first verse of The Kids from Yesterday, it says, well, now this could be the last of all the rides we take, so hold on tight and don't look back. And so, you know, in the context of what was going on then was My Chemical Romance being like, hey, this is our last album. Uh, we're going to do it big. And, you know, don't be sad when the good times are over. Um, just enjoy the good times that we've had. And with that in mind, you look at what's going on with Crazy Jane in this season. And you think about the progress that she's made with Kate Chalice, how Kate Chalice is starting to grow literally as a person in real life. Um, and I think if I can make an assumption, just like Grant Morrison... Now, hang on. Don't you go making an ass out of you and me. <laughs> Where's the donkey? Can we bring the donkey back? Where's that donkey at? Um, Grant Morrison, when he ended his role at Doom Patrol, he, he tied the knot for the story that is Crazy Jane. And we saw... An actual ending for Crazy Jane, which was bittersweet. I'm wondering if today's episode proposes that there is an end for Crazy Jane in the near future. Much like there was an ending for Dorothy, and Dorothy took off with the Dead Boy Detectives. Who knows if Dorothy will ever come back? Like I said, I hope so. But could we also be reaching an end for Crazy Jane? Mm-hmm. Because if Crazy Jane can find peace within herself and Kate Chalice, then we can start this idea that the Doom Patrol starts cycling in and out new and old members. You just want Casey. You just want Casey. All you want is Casey. I want Dorothy back. I I think Dorothy (laughs) would be great uh, as a a main character. But Casey Brink also could totally fill in that role. I mean, you put Casey Brink in and either one really just kind of fills in the 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 crazy Jane role of, of Doom Patrol. You have these characters with these crazy um, kind of like unwritten powers that can be whatever they imagine. And crazy Jane has all these personalities. I mean, it's just, it seems like, it's just a guess here. But I think it's a good guess to make that Hey, if Diane wants to do other things and now's a good time to end the character, then isn't it important that some of these Doom Patrol members are able to actually find some resolve to actually have some resolution with their lives? I I, I don't I don't know. I I I think it would be a good thing to do. I it's probably a conversation that they've had in the writers room. But I think everything that happened in today's episode, it's just, it was all about Crazy Jane herself and not just Kate Chalice. It's about moving on. Um, and that's what stuck with me the most in today's episode. Hmm. Um, I did notice that there was very heavy Jane and Kay stuff, obviously. Um. Y- I think I think you are on to something and I think that you are possibly right in your assumption. Um I don't want to say it. <laughs> don't want to see her go, but anything of the nature uh yeah, um 
it, it could be there is something that obviously there's something between K. K wants to experience life and she is healing now and trying to you know go about that as a as a person and as yeah. a whatever ready to mindset. step out into the world yeah, yeah exactly and you know the stark reality of we we heard it from Jane last season where there could be a day where K won't need Jane and how do you go about that idea of just you won't exist and, and isn't uh, that what we want yeah and Isn't yes, that, that would want. be the healing. That is the healing that needs to be done. That is the light at the end of the tunnel, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, but I don't know. I guess I've always just been so enthralled in these characters that I just don't want to... <laughs> see them go? See them go or see them get better even me reading the book, it was always like a, are things going to be better? Is there going to be a better mindset that these characters are going to be in? And, or, uh, you know, is there going to be a, a not so crazy situation or, or what have you? Mm-hmm. Um, and no, because you can't just create problems and then, you know, especially real world based problems and then just write them away I mean, I guess you can because, you know, writing a comic book, you can do whatever you want. But those problems still don't go away. They might manifest into something else or they might heal and grow into something else. But uh, seeing seeing Kay um, heal is obviously very excellent. It's very exciting. Yeah. Um, but seeing what it does to Jane is more upsetting to me, obviously. Yeah, um, and that's, I don't want to see Jane go. That's the bittersweet thing about it is that it's bitter to see the character go, but it's sweet knowing that there's a conclusive end to the character. Could be, and possibly, maybe. Possibly. We're not certain. We don't know. We don't know, but it's it's just it's up there for inference only because of what has been talked about in today's episode and knowing the ending of the painting that stole Paris and also knowing the end of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol run, how he ended it with the Crazy Jane uh, single issue. All those things kind of pointed in the direction that, you know, when they run out of Grant Morrison's stories to write, it's the only thing that they have left is is the end for Crazy Jane. And of course, Crazy Jane's been brought back in the, in the Gerard Way run. Um, but uh, Gerard Way was able to bring back a lot of the characters in wacky situations so um there's other there's other ways to do it but uh, it's just something that i kind of noticed in today's episode so i'm very curious um but let's go ahead and talk about um that character that seems to be our antagonist so shelly byron the fog when everett's character uh first of all fantastic performance i was not expecting such a great performance i didn't know what to expect i think that's the beauty of the adaptation of the sisterhood of Dada. Um, the fog has taken the, the leading role for the sisterhood. And it's such a, it's such a great thing to see realized in live action. This idea that the fog is a collection of everyone's minds and personalities that it has ever consumed. So they're all trapped in this fog and, uh, when Everett herself, she does this fantastic performance, uh, just 
by sitting down and, and talking to Diane opposite of her and just the small nonverbal motifs that are done with her body language as they're talking. It's so great. It's, it's so provocative in the way that she's speaking towards the character crazy Jane. And I think she really represents like crazy Jane uses this term, but like pretentious bullshit. And whenever it does a great job of being that kind of, artists with that kind of energy of like yeah i am pretentious bullshit but that's what it takes to get the movement going that i'm in this eternal flagellation that i i go on and on about yes it sounds provocative but that's who i am in essence that is what all of this is about is leading this movement by being so abrasive and yet abstract at the same time it's it's an amazing uh performance by the the actor to also perform the movement that is Dadaism and, and all these things. So she does a great job handling this character and making it something more valuable than what was in the comic books and other just them being like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a foggy collection of people's personalities and Crazy Jane is 64. Wow, what a, what a get. You know, it's what they do in this episode is making that character so much more important. So it's just fantastic. Um, and just the, the whole set piece that was the candy shop and Kate Chalice and Crazy Jane and uh, Shelly Byron's character, it just it could not have been cooler. Um, I think this is a character that I hope really s- sticks around throughout the entire season, um, and I, I have no idea what's in store for these characters. But yeah, Nate, take it away. Let me know what you thought about the fog. The fog, it was, it's incredible. Um, great uh, use of the character. Um, really awesome that they're the leader of the Sisterhood of Dada now, um, especially with that power. That power is uh, honestly unchecked compared to the rest of, of the other members who we'll talk about. But um, one question pertains to um, Larry and his side story. So the fog being this, uh, this, this, this being that can go to towns, as she was saying, and, and swallow them whole and, and everything, and consume personalities and, and people and places and things, lions, tigers, and bears. Um, the, the, the way that Larry was able to get like his son and, and the other people that were just aimlessly walking around in that fog, those are just like regular people that the fog just picked up, right? And they're just like stuck. Uh, what is that mythological thing? Because that's like a conundrum as well, where it's you're lost in the fog, and it's all throughout literature and shit. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's like uh, isn't there, it there, there's a thing the, in in mythology about it too. I'm pretty sure you're talking about like the Odyssey, where he gets trapped in the siren song, right? Or he gets trapped. I guess in it's kind the of cyclone. similar. But no, there's like the fog that like is a fog of despair or whatever that people are stuck and they're walking around. Damn it, yeah. this is from a cartoon and I can't think of what it is. Um, yeah, but I understand. But it's what also you're like from a thing. It's a it's a real like idea, like the you know. And then story wise, it, it it is the fact that uh, Darren Jones sent the Bureau of Normalcy into the fog and they were forever trapped yes. in trying to recapture one of these uh, oddities, if you will. 
So that uh, was that's that's oh, my yeah. that, I'm I'm correct in my assumption that's those people those were just aimlessly walking around speaking Dada were just people from the oddities and just like townsfolk and stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was the Bureau of Normalcy that was they had gotten trapped in the fog trying to find the fog and okay. ended up being stuck in there forever. Okay. That's okay. the craziness of the fog. Yeah. So they do a great job highlighting um the abilities of these uh, the the sisterhood of Dada, whereas in the comic books it's like it, it happens once, it's crazy, and it doesn't really happen again. You have to just kind of be like, oh, okay, now I understand. The mm. one that is probably the most obvious and the one that they really didn't highlight yet was Sleepwalk, which is a character I've been wanting to see for a long time. I think yeah. this is, this is a personal one of the coolest favorite of... designs of a character. Honestly, <laughs> one of the coolest yeah. designs of a character. I will never forget. This is one of those things when you're reading comic books and you're like, oh, this person just looks cool. I like that character. Like Batman or Spider-Man. You see the character and you go, that character looks cool. Mm -hmm. I like that character now. Sleepwalk was one of those characters for me. We're just seeing the character on the cover. You're like, who is that? Is that a Doom Patrol member? I like this character. What is this character's thing? Yeah. And then once you start reading, then you learn who Sleepwalk is. Uh, Sleepwalk... Holly McKenzie is the, is the comic book character's name, but it's played by Anna, Anita uh, Kalatara. She, um, Sleepwalk, is this normal person, but once they fall asleep, then they have like super strength and super abilities that can only be used while the person is sleepwalking, which is just another crazy Grant Morrison uh, superhero design. And this character is sleeping in today's episode. Robot Man uh, finds Sleepwalk, sleeping in a ice cream truck and there's still a whole bunch of other art things that we'll we'll drop the easter eggs for towards the end of the episode when we catch up to it but just seeing sleepwalk in the episode was like yes i can't believe this character is in it as well and then the other character that he runs into is the quiz which there's no comic book uh alias for the quiz the quiz is that's that's the whole shtick of it um played by Gina uh, Hiraizumi. Um, the quiz's ability, uh, you said the fog the fog superpowers outrival the rest of them. And you're kind of true because the quiz comes close, but the, the problem with the quiz is exactly what we said uh, earlier in this episode, that it, it sucks when we know that, you know, things are ending soon for these characters. The quiz's superpower is any superpower that you have not thought of yet. So as soon as she does a superpower that you haven't thought of yet, now it exists and now she can no longer ever use that superpower. Do you was, need me to pause? Yeah, I need you to pause. Not not pause, pause, but like is was the quiz I missed it. Was the quiz the one that was in the in the glass cage? Yes. Okay. Okay. So her ability to use okay. anything that threw that me no off because when we first saw her, it was it was it was the da da piece, and I was like, okay, it's just metaphysical, got it. And no, I guess I was missing the whole question mark jumpsuit thing. But the rebreather is there. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot going on there. Uh, let's let's dial it back. Let's let's go through the thing. So just know that her abilities are anything you haven't thought of yet so that's her problem uh, and that's why she's limited as opposed to the fog which her power will continue to grow and grow and grow um 
So, Robot Man's walking through the fog, right? He starts to see all these crazy surrealism and Dada pieces, which are actual references to, to real art pieces in um, the Dada movement. Yes. Uh, I think one of the first ones was the mustache hat, right? One of seven lithographs created by John Earp in 1923. Um, he did like seven of these uh, different art things, and they were all basically combinations of human bodies, human body parts with everyday objects. So mustache hat, and then you have like navel bottle, which is like a, a wine bottle, but it has like a navel. And so it all has like this kind of um, suggestive tone to it. So he sees the mustache hat, um, which I think would have to either have been created by uh, either the quiz or sleepwalk. I couldn't sleepwalk. tell which which one I couldn't tell which one was creating what elements. And then I of think course, sleepwalk was creating that whole first section that that cliff experiences yeah like she was just like conjuring things up in her dreams and like it was just manifesting these Mm -hmm. objects right manifesting dada yes yes man if we had titles for things (laughs) and uh and then she does the optophone thing right so the optophone uh francis picabia uh designed this artwork here um this uh this is when he's looking into the ice cream truck and sleepwalk i guess she makes like this uh uh portal that shows the quiz in it and the way that the quote the quiz is posed in this kind of um uh black and white portal that's swirling it sucks in the robot man right Mm -hmm. so that's a reference to the art piece that is known as optophone which is named after a device that reads text and then is able to say the text out for um blind people who can't read do you know i like work with that like as a regular in my real job like i have to look for uh, phone like operators like people that have that system really 100 percent, yeah because it's one thing that we use for transcribing stuff <laughs> so reason it just says it out but that it's reading real text yeah and so having... like we would have to it's not yeah anyway it's just like using to use like annotate it's just a tool that we would use in... like analog microsoft text to speech yeah um, yeah, yeah. So it's really cool. So if you rewatch the episode and you see the optophone part where the portal comes up with with the quiz in it, uh, just know that that was an, an art piece uh, from Francis Picabia. That was like during his uh, machinist period, where mm-hmm. he was like super into um, inspired by like industrial machinery, and so he would take that industrial machinery and he would create like again suggestive um, art pieces that resemble the human body like sometimes it's sexual sometimes it isn't but it's a lot like uh john arp's uh, mustache hat where it's just using real everyday objects and doing humane human like movements with it so that's what optophone was with that kind of circular portal design and then the glass case that she's in i think when robot man tries to hug the quiz as if they've somehow uh, consolidated their feelings towards one another. Um, It it shatters that glass case, right? And uh, this is a reference, I believe, to Marcel Duchamp's The Large Glass, which is a massive art piece to to even begin to talk about. I'm not even going to spend all the time talking about that art piece, but I believe that is a reference to it. 
um, which was started in 1915, and then it was later finished in 1927. And when I say it was finished, uh, I mean that he kind of stopped working on it in 1923. And then in 1927, uh, they were moving the art piece, and it shattered. Or not mm. shattered, but it cracked uh, completely all throughout the glass uh, artwork. It had cracked. And this thrilled Duchamp. He was like, oh, this finishes the work. The accidental cracking has finished the work in a way that I could never have. So having stopped it in 1923 and then four years later it cracks, then he's like, wow, now it really is finished. Uh, and that's where you get like those kind of um, imperfections in art and all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. That it's actually is the perfection of yeah. it. Yeah. So uh, that's the large glass by Marcel Duchamp. The, the, the true name of it is the bride stripped to bear by her bachelors even uh, and then parenthetical, the large glass. Uh, it's something that you guys will have to look up because there's so many elements within that glass artwork that it is, I, there's, you could write essays on what's going on in that, in that art piece. But that's what Marcel Duchamp is known for. He has so many art installations that are similar to that. Um, and then um, there's one more that happens towards the end of the episode, which gets into our final Sisterhood of Dada character, which is Frenzy. And this character is played by uh, Miles Musenden. He plays Lloyd Malcolm Frenzy. Um, Frenzy kind of has a bigger arc than the other ones in the comic book. Um, and I'm curious to see if they kind of follow in the same path of Frenzy in the comic books. But um, Frenzy has a fantastic role in, in today's episode, especially challenging the idea of who Victor Stone is. And I know we talked about it uh, earlier in this episode about the conclusion between Cyborg and Silas Stone. But now, Victor Stone, the, the human, um, Frenzy is challenging his idea of, of thinking of who he is as, as a human being in society. And more specifically a black man in the modern world. Um, you know, you have a character who's, whose parents are doctors and scientists and they work for Star Labs and they've given him a second chance to be a superhero and all these things. So there's a Silver Spoon mentality that's going on between Frenzy and Victor Stone. And I'm really paraphrasing this because it goes a lot deeper than that. Um, more so than most of us can ever really experience because we're not, we're a little bit better off than, than those characters are, especially when you think of what's going on in, in the real world, um, things that happen to people of color, not, you know, we have a lot going on in the world. Um, and I think this, again, leans into the idea of what is the movement within art? What is the point of Dadaism? What is the point of avant-garde, vanguard art? What is that for? And that is what's happening with Frenzy, challenging Victor Stone's idea of him representing African Americans, the black community, when he does not suffer like they do. It's a huge thing that was brought up in season two. I believe Shoshana also wrote this for Ronnie Evers in Pain Patrol. I think it was the third episode of season three because I believe she wrote Pain Patrol as, as well with Tom Farrell. And when Cyborg meets Ronnie Evers, she tells Cyborg that 
he can't just decide who's good and who's bad without knowing the damage that has been done to those people. And she's mm-hmm. really kind of speaking about herself. Like I'm a damaged person. Is everything I do bad because I've done bad things in my life? And that's what's going on with Frenzy as well. And just because Cyborg sympathizes with Ronnie Evers doesn't just change who he is at his nature, right? That's the bigger question. So there's a huge conversation going on. And um, Miles Musendin, the actor who plays Frenzy, delivers this really amazing poetic performance. Incredibly. it's it's so it's well droppingly just incredible it really is um and the fact that cyborg now in the mix of doom patrol something that you and i did not get a chance to even explore because our minds weren't there when we were reading grant morrison doom patrol and mm-hmm. learning about dada and all of this and, and the entire movement and all of this stuff and how it relates to doom patrol and again cyborg is a perfect puzzle piece to even fit into dada the movement itself the dude is a juxtaposition of just being and even within himself he's juxtaposing himself he can't figure out what is right and wrong within his own self he's half human half machine it's 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 so poetically perfect it like gives me goosebumps how blatant it's in your face and how like just incredible this story can branch and 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 what how 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 cyborg can just be this versatile i would have never expected cyborg to have to deal with these questions this this idea of why are you now that is a question that you can ask a cyborg in just a sci-fi whatever you know uh setting yeah. Ask a cyborg, why are you? And of course, it's going to go bzz, 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 shut down. And it's like, okay, cool. You gave it a paradox. Like, awesome, cool. But, like, don't just stop there. Actually explore that question of why are you and have that cyborg or whatever explore that question within them, within their own selves. Obviously, we're seeing characters that are going through trials and tribulations they're finding themselves and stuff when posed with the question especially a person who is so gung-ho on i know who i am i stand for truth and justice i am cyborg you ask why and the dude shuts down and goes to anger that's just like oh my god that's perfect it's the equivalent of someone seeing a painting and someone like giving this an elaborate explanation of feeling and thought and then the other person going I don't see it. This is dumb. I'm out of here. Like, yeah, yes, absolutely. (laughs) That's like exactly what is supposed to be happening right now. And it's just so beautifully poetic. It's so hard to, I'm so excited that this occurred. (laughs) Yeah. And it's incredible. The, the, uh, the art piece that frenzy is designing. Oh my God. I want it. (laughs) I want that on my wall. Yeah, I, it's a it's a surrealism reference to, cyborg is something that we need to to dive into. Yeah, it's just everything that they've been doing with cyborg uh, deconstructing what cyborg is in this show is just miles ahead of of other stories that have been told of cyborg. And so it's it's really great to not only challenge his representation as a superhero, but also challenge his representation of the black community when like he himself is 
not suffering the same as as others, especially if he's a superhero and, and you have people like Ronnie Evers and um, uh, Lloyd Malcolm. You have other these people who are tech considered super villains, uh, the way that they're treated in in their world. Um, and then Cyborg just feels like, okay, but I'm 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 the law though, so you have to. I'm the one in the right and you're still the ones in the wrong. It's, it's a great, it's a great challenge to that. And that's what avant-garde represents is it's challenging the ideas of, of what are, what is set up, especially during the time of world war one, where you always thought that there was a good side and a bad side and the world wars were starting to change that idea. And so that's what Dadaism was, was challenging the ideas of what is good, what is bad, what is logic, what is reason um, what what are all these things that we've been taught is like the the way that we should be thinking, and, and so art specifically, what is art like? Why is why is art the way it is? Why can't yeah. we explore? Why can't we do something else? Why can't I clip out something from a newspaper? Yeah, why can't change... there be a freaking you know bike tire on this guy's back? Just because, <laughs> dude, it can be. And what does that mean? What does that represent to break that normality? It doesn't, but shit, you want to give him superpowers? I don't know. Make the bike wheels spin and it makes a tornado. Fuck, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's it doesn't matter. That's exactly it. And that's exactly where your mindset is supposed to be when you're experiencing these things coming from Doom Patrol and obviously, you know, avant-garde and Dada and, yeah. and art. You know, this is this is how we express ourselves we like to to see things and and interpret uh art um hey i hope that you guys also like to to get angry about art as well (laughs) yeah and it's great that he sends him that um paper mache uh portrait uh, of cyborg and and on the back it says approximate man which is a reference to a (sighs) A, a piece of art created by Marcel Marcel Janko. He did this. It's a approximate man colon portrait of Tristan Zara. Tristan Zara, we said, was the one who coined the Dada poem writing and or structure. And so Marcel Janko made this portrait of Tristan Zara, and it looks just like it. The kind of idea of what he sent, uh, of what Frenzy sends to Cyborg, and you know, it to to write approximate man and give it to Cyborg as such. Um, it really doesn't imply like you are estimating who you think you are. You are still unsure of who you really are and you're guessing about it. At least that's my inference about it. I mean, that's the whole thing of art. It's you just, you know, what is your initial emotional reaction to? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So when he sends him this self-portrait and says approximate man, it's a low blow, but it's also like telling like, you have some work to do on yourself, mm-hmm. not just on the metal side, but on the human side of your body. Do you have a lot to figure out? Especially if we're going to continue going, you know, your eventual uh, rendezvous with Ronnie Evers, which I think is in the cards for sure in this season. Eventually they're going to meet back up and they have got to really iron some things out between them. That's a metal pun. Um, so a lot of crazy things going on with the sisterhood of Dada. I love. Uh, I never really set, spoke about it, but the 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 renaming of sisterhood of Dada from brotherhood of Dada it makes a lot of sense, um, or doesn't, and that's the beauty of it. When you know that frenzy is in it, and if 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 Lloyd Malcolm or Miles Musendin wants to identify 
frenzy as a as a male character and you know their pronouns are he him why is it you know the sisterhood of dada well you look at the brotherhood of dada and sleepwalk was in it and if sleepwalk is identified as a woman then the brotherhood and gender uh roles mean nothing so it's kind of cool when you have the sisterhood of dada which includes a male figure because the brotherhood of dada included a, a female figure and listen gender mean nothing yeah, exactly. If we're talking about Dada here, like the gender roles are, are meaningless. But I do love the renaming, especially when you have the Brotherhood of Evil and the Sisterhood of Dada. I love the dichotomy of those two and what they represent, especially at the time when Grant Morrison was writing and he uh, did away with the Brotherhood of Evil and brought in the Brotherhood of Dada under the rule of Mr. Nobody. That was a fantastic transformation on his end. But I really love how season three and how the Doom Patrol writers have established both uh, personhoods of supervillains. I don't know. <laughs> that, that Personhoods of supervillainy. That's, oh, yeah, shit. Write that go. down because that's a whole new company. What future. is that going to be? Yeah. If that's you guys like, need to... It's like the, 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 the Guild of Calamitous Intent, but yeah, in the real the world. The inevitable uh, union between the two personhoods. Like when they decide to unite and 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 go against the Doom Patrol, is that is that what they'll call themselves? So yeah, yeah. who yeah. knows exactly. Um, there's a yeah, and there's so much more to go into today's episode. We really haven't talked about what's going on with Negative Man. Um, of course, he's got he's well, got a baby. He's got something going on. I I don't know if it's if it's the uh, the negative spirit in some form. Uh, I have no idea. I don't Maybe he was even... like just like too negative, and like it was just like getting like, hey man, you're getting backed up. You got to go and like dump out some excess negativity in space, and then don't worry, your negativity's still there, so it'll still grow in it. It's just every once in a while you got to go like throw up in space a little bit, dude. Yeah, it's it's so bizarre. And then now with Paul, his his uh his son, now you have Paul Trainer in the mix at the doom manor mm-hmm. it's all dotted so, out and everything too yeah it's it's gonna be such a strange revelation for what's going on with larry trainer especially if we don't know what's happened to the negative spirit but man he has um probably the biggest question mark on him i think we've resolved what's happened with rita far we've had some madame rouge time travel stuff that's gotten in the mix with Rita Farr and we never really talked about it on the show because we really didn't know what to talk about. Yeah, we mentioned now, a little bit of it, some some half-cocked idea of, of stupidity and and it was just sitting right in front of our face. So I think it is confirmed that she is the world-renowned time traveler, which I got to say, I can, I can re-watch this whole series anytime just for April Bowlby's Rita Farr. It's such a great performance i know it, it's it's even heightened in this season with michelle gomez's laura DeMille. um they are just fantastic the way that they act together in scenes it's 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 true chemistry it's it's amazing um there's even a lot of great writing quips that shoshana does in today's episode especially um when rita far is helping larry trainer with his little uh zit problem and 
she says something along the lines of like, I never want to hear the term brain again, although I'm sure that's unavoidable. And I just thought about like how brain and Monsieur Mala are still out there. Yeah. And so she might have to say brain more often. And so I really liked um, that little quip there. And then Crazy Jane calls uh, Laura DeMille Doctor Who at some point, And because she has a time travel uh, vessel and uh, An Michelle accent. Gomez... Michelle Gomez was also Missy in about three three different iterations of Doctor Who. So was she? I didn't know that. So that's it's one of her biggest roles in television. Um, for people who watch Doctor well, Who, well, excuse me, all you Who heads. <laughs> Is that what they call themselves? I don't think they're called Whovians because isn't that Doctor Seuss? You got me, man. <laughs> I can't keep up with all the Doctor shows. Um, I'm still catching up on all the seasons of Dr. Phil. Uh, it, it's Dr. Who is... Uh, oh, you're going to love Dr. Oz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Dr. Who. Uh, first of all, if you are familiar with the show, I'm sure you're familiar with Show Gomez as Missy. Um, great character. I think that's that was the biggest thing I was looking into when I found out that she was playing Madame Rouge, I was like, oh, is Michelle Gomez going to be um, like more of like Missy from Doctor Who? Or is, or is she going to be like, um, uh, forget what her character was in Sabrina, like her actual name, but she was like Satan or something like that. And um, she, she, anyways, fantastic. I just like that that quip was thrown in there. Um, and then one of the lines that I took away just to kind of wrap up today's episode was... Um, the fog really talking to Crazy Jane as if like, you know, we have a lot more in common, which is something we saw between Robot Man and Gargawax talking about their hate for Niles Calder. And we're really starting to see this more often where these supervillains and superheroes really have a lot more in common than we think. And she gives Crazy Jane this advice of doing something with the pain that they have, with the trauma that they have, they can really make changes in this world. And that um, is, is, to me, I think it's the big takeaway. I think it's the, it's the, the takeaway line of today's episode because you can really um, chew on that um, phrase and, and think about how it might apply later to the season and, and also with uh, what's progressing within Crazy Jane and the sisterhood of Dada. So, um, that to me was a line that really stuck out to me in today's episode. So, um, before we go ahead and wrap up for today, because I'm sure that we could be talking a lot more about today's episode, but I want to hear back from some of our listeners and see what they've said about today's episode. But Nate, um, what, what is your big takeaway from today's episode now that we're wrapping up? My big takeaway is that I just want to thank everybody involved for making this possible. Honestly, it's a, as a, goofy little art kid i really enjoy that um more people can be exposed to something that i thought was just you know myself reading a comic book under a under a lamp in my bed you know as a kid it's uh it's incredible that i got to see something like the doom patrol doing their dada shtick in a live action television program. That's, it's amazing. I'm so happy. 
uh, I really cannot wait to rewatch the episode and do it with, you know, pausing every five minutes and seeing what I can pull apart and pick out. Um, and all of it. I just really want to. It's things like this that really spark creativity to me. Like, I do just want to go and clip things and, 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 and paste things together in a, in a collage. Or I do want to go and, mm-hmm. and just learn more about the movement, you know, and see other pieces. I want to go to that damn Dolly Museum that we have here in this state. And I haven't mm. been. What the hell? I don't know. <laughs> Let's it's go just, this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Meet me out there. Meet me at it's, our spot. Uh, we'll go. It's very inspirational. Um, it's very exciting. I'm so happy that this exists. And I'm really excited to see more people talking about it and to see more people see that art form and realize oh that's what I like because that was a realization for me it was when I would see Dada and surrealism art and be like that's the kind of shit I like and like looking around like everybody like do you guys see this you guys get this this is I like this you think this is weird that's why I like it and seeing Mm -hmm. that more people that's how you that's the jumping on point and if if Doom Patrol is that jumping on point you have a friend in me let me tell you yeah, if there's, if, you know, what I like so much about today's episode really represents like that the weirdness means something and it, it doesn't mean something in the sense of like there's a definitive answer like, you know, turn the look on the opposite page and it gives you the answer of what the painting means or whatever this art piece uh, represents. There's no definitive answer, but as long as you understand that and that you understand that you should be getting some sort of reaction out of it and that it means something to you that's what this episode represents and it's great that they've done this in this show finally they've they've done it so well they've adapted it so well and it's great to just revel in it like i can't wait to rewatch today's episode and just like i can't wait to to watch the rest of the season and see how these characters progress not just the the main cast, but the sisterhood of Dada. I can't wait to see more interactions with those characters with the rest of the Doom Patrol and to continue um, not explaining themselves, but like explaining the idea of what was written in the pages of Doom Patrol during the 80s. And so that's what I'm most excited about is that they're showing you how to think in the bigger picture that is what Doom Patrol has always wanted to represent. And, and the writers what they want to convey with Dadaism and, and all this surreal stuff and all this wacky bonkers things that Doom Patrol does. I think it's great that the the writers can tell these stories in that kind of fashion. I think that's the, the, the most, I think that deserves the most applause. So yeah, um, let's go ahead and wrap up for today. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, please find us on all social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, if Facebook is ever uh, up. And then you can find us at Radio Doom Patrol on social media. Tell us what you thought about today's episode. Um, We also are part of the Dueling Genre Network. So you can find us on there. You can find our shows on DuelingGenre.com. There's a Patreon. Nate and I uh, join on special episodes on Patreon to guest on the uh, numerous extra show contents that they have there where we get to guest on the shows and, and talk about whatever is new regarding pop culture news and whatnot. So please find us on there as well. Help support the show by supporting the network. And without further ado, DJ, please take it away.
on child A is here next to man. It's show A and that's on plant hour. Like patrol womb in or doom grows. Fruit that radio, you A, we will. <laughs>